Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. Well, hi, Charnel. Hello. I want to clarify something, if I may, please. How are you, by the way? I'm really well. That's good. Um, what would you like to clarify? Is this a retraction? Or? No, but I feel like I have to start every episode asking you, have you seen any dead bodies this week? Uh, I, what about the guy that got hit on the bike that delayed you in the traffic? No, he here? was alive. So on the okay. way here, I was a bit late. But I did see a dead body, I feel like, over Christmas. And I noted that I'd seen a dead body, but now I can't remember what body it was. Because I thought of another nearly dead body that I may have seen oh. a dead body, but I'm not. Here we go. Why do you never believe me? Because it's like you just want to see a dead body and you keep seeing. Well, I thought it was. But so um, my daughter wanted to take an Instagram photo of this cafe in a cool inner city suburb. I think it was Fitzroy, Collingwood, somewhere like that. Right. And to get to it, I had to go go through little back streets and up a one-way street. And I pulled over. And it was one of those cool little funky one-way streets where they're like factories, but they've been turned into hip offices sure. for, I don't know what they do in their social media stuff or something. I don't know. So I just pulled over in front of this little factory office thing where cool young folk were going in and out with takeaway coffees. And my daughter had gone around onto the main street to take whatever shot she wanted to take of something around there. And as I was sitting there with the car idling, I looked to the side and there were rubbish bins. You're always in a car when you think you see a dead body. <laughs> yep. Rubbish bins, and I could see the soles of a pair of shoes, and I sort of followed the the shoe foot part and went, "Is that a, is that a foot? Is that a sock? It did, looks like a sock. Wait, I'm is cutting. that trousers above it? Did you think of me? No, I didn't. Oh. <laughs> and I thought my brain said to me, someone has had some kind of a party and this is a costume or a scarecrow type thing that someone has made and they've oh, just right. dumped it there next to the bins. Okay. It's like a a life-size mm. clown your and it's all collapsed Your down. defensive brain went, yeah. not a dead body, whereas mine would have gone, dead body. And I stared at it. And stared a bit more and thought, it looks, no, that looks like it's a person all crumpled up in a little heap behind the rubbish bin. And then? And then this panic just went whoosh through me and I thought, no. And as I kind of that realisation came over me, my daughter was walking back towards me and I'm thinking. Don't turn around, don't turn around. Don't look, don't see, don't look. I didn't want her to see it. And also, it's a bit of a blur what happened in that same time. One of the young hipsters from that office or whatever it was, came out of the hipster office and looked down at the crumpled clown scarecrow <laughs> costume. Dead person. And dead I person. noticed they had their phone to their ear and they went over close to the crumpled clown <laughs> costume pair of shoes and looked quite close and I think spoke to it. Oh, and obviously got no response. And so in my mind, I'm thinking that's they're calling the cops. Yeah. So my daughter got into the car. All I could think was, because she's only in her early 20s, I don't want to seeing things like that, was just get out of there before she sees anything, which is probably not the responsible community thing to do. Well, I probably should have called wait, the cops. Wait, did you verify? That you just drove no, off? No, I was so terrified. Did you just drive away? I drove away. Well, maybe it was a dead body. 
I've just done a been. sound effect music thing, being all light-hearted, thinking that you were going to say, and then the person got up and they were fine. They were just having a lie down in the alleyway. But now that was potentially, I might give you that. That's potentially a dead I, body. No. Do you know what? I'm going to say no because okay. as we were driving away, we heard an ambulance and I thought, would they send, if the person yes. rings, would they send, do they send an ambulance yes. first? Not just. To check the pulse, Dee Dee. Who do they send? They just straight away send the coroner to come pick up the dead body without checking first. I know it was irresponsible, but I was kind of thinking to myself, the young hipster did not look phased at all. Oh, they're he not phased so... about anything. Exactly. There could be an earthquake and they would just go get their chai latte and continue on. Yes. You do not want a hipster to find your dead body. I thought he's got this. And I also don't so want I you to him... find my dead body because you're just going to drive off and leave I me promise there. I won't. If I was the only one there, I, would, I wouldn't have driven off, I promise you. Oh, Lord. But I thought the hipsters got I'm it. So there's a possibility. Okay. Uh, the other thing I wanted to say was in our last episode, I said – no good comes from standing on balconies. Do not stand on balconies. You did. I just wanted to clarify that I made that comment before. So in the suburb of Doncaster, Melbourne suburb of Doncaster, yes. there was a Christmas party and a balcony collapsed and people, I think, did people die there? They, they did. certainly were injured. Yeah. yeah. Um, I made that comment before that happened. You I wouldn't did. be so insensitive as to be making a thing of no. what happened there. And that is awful, but it has proved your point about balconies. Exactly. Mm. Right. You can go first today. Go on. Okay, so I spend a lot of time at crime scenes, as if you have been listening to previous episodes. Thank you very much. You would know. And there was something that I noticed about crime scenes. So I want you to think news story or any kind of murder show you might have watched and the shots that are filmed in those to demonstrate a car crash maybe. You might see a bit of crumpled car the policemen running out the police tape. Then you see people with their hands over their mouths standing at the police tape. And then do you remember, Didi, that often you see shoes on the ground? Yes. That's a thing, right? Yeah. So always at crime scenes, you see shoes on the ground. As in like the shoes have come off of the person? Yeah. Yes. 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 Right? You always see Why that. Why does that always happen? So one day I was sitting at a crime scene and I could see the shoes of the driver who was in this terrible car crash on the ground. And I was just sitting there staring at them and I thought, why the hell does that always happen? Why are there always shoes on the ground? And I went over to a, a friend of mine who's also a, a major collision investigator and I said, what's going on with the shoes? Why does this always happen? It's like every person that's in a car accident unties their shoes or just doesn't tie their yeah. shoes. It is the force of the crash runs through their body and blows their shoes off. No. Yes, it does. So think about, you know, when you go into a doctor's office and there's little ornaments and things they have on their desk and Without a doubt, doctors always have the six little silver balls that are hung by the string. Oh, yeah. And you pull up the first one. Yep. And it smacks through yep. and blows off the last one. Yep. That's what happens. The last when one, people the, are those, in car those don't have shoes on them. No, they don't. But that's the way the energy works is that when people are in car accidents and their body takes, say, their upper body takes the force, it runs through their body and here. blows out their shoes. Can you believe that? And sometimes, depending on what kind of shoes they're wearing, their foot might come off with the shoe. No. Yes. 
So are you better to wear, okay, I am never going to wear anything other thongs. than slip-ons? I still don't know if that could be a myth that you're not allowed to drive with thongs on. I think no, it's people... not. You're allowed to. Oh, well, yeah, yep. there you go. So that is why, because after crime scene after crime scene, I would always see shoes and we'd always get that shot and then there'd be, you know, the 54-year-old male was died on impact, <sighs> show a shot of the shoes because it demonstrates who the person was. Shoes are blown off on impact. Get out yep. of town. Yeah. That's amazing. There you go. Just something that you see on television and now you know why it happens. You're welcome. Thanks, Chanel. No worries. I want to tell you about a man by the name of Carl Tanzler. This, depending on how you look at it, could be the story of a mad person or it could be a sweet love story. Hmm. Could be either. Depends on how you interpret it. Carl Tanzler was also known as Count Carl von Kosel, but he wasn't a count at all. I think that's early. If someone's calling themselves a count and they're not, um, there's your red flag. There's so many red flags in this story. You can okay. just sing out if you spot. As, yeah, we'll do that. As you tell Problem. the story, I'll say red flag. Red flag. Okay. All right. He was a radiologist. He was born in 1877 in Germany. Uh, he claimed to have nine university degrees. Red flag. And that he had been a submarine captain. <laughs> red flag. I need a sound effect. <laughs> For every time this happens. No, he had. There's lots of them. <laughs> Be ready for the next one. Uh, he had been married, but he'd left his wife and children. So by 1927, he was living alone. He was working at the US Marine Hospital in Key West in Florida. And there he met a woman by the name of Maria Elena Milagro de Hoyos. She was a 21-year-old. I'm actually picturing her looking like Selma Hayek. And you can do that too if you want to. I was getting that look in my yeah. head. 21-year-old Cuban beauty, she was described as, and she came in to see him for an examination. This is assuming he is actually a doctor and I'm not even convinced that he was. But anyway, in she went. And she was the woman of his dreams, quite literally. Apparently for years he had been seeing visions. No red flag. Red flag. Right. Um, Of a beautiful dark-haired woman who would one day be the love of his life. So Carl thought that Elena was that woman who had been appearing in his dreams. Right. Unfortunately, though, Elena had tuberculosis. So Carl was so determined to save her life, he he set out to find a miracle cure. And he, he gave us, he made us some homemade tonics and medicines He went to her home and he took x-ray and electrical equipment to her home to treat her, which is pretty much illegal. I don't think you can just be taking x-ray gear. I was going to red flag this behaviour, but then I think love can make you do crazy things, so I'm going to allow it. Well, some people, you Mm. know, as I did say, it was a love story. Uh, He gave her gifts. He told her how much he loved her. Despite everything he tried, though, Elena died on October the 25th, 1931. Carl paid for her to be buried in an expensive stone mausoleum, which is almost like a little building. And he hired a mortician to clean and fix up her body before he put it inside the mausoleum. Her family didn't know, though, that he had a key to the mausoleum and he was the only person who did have. Red flag. So for, what? It's just a key. Why do you You're need throwing the key? The, no, save your red flags. There's other things. Oh. For two years, he went to the mausoleum and visited Elena every single night. Sometimes he sang her his favourite Spanish song. Red flag. 
sort of like a Julio Iglesias before Julio Iglesias was doing his thing. Could you imagine if you went to the mausoleum and you, you, you just heard the strumming of the guitar <laughs> and the love song? Okay, yep. He was fired from his job around the same time and he stopped going to the tomb which her family found a bit strange considering his behaviour up until then. They knew he'd been visiting the tomb. They didn't know he'd he'd been going inside, Mm. but they thought it was a bit odd that he stopped going. What they didn't know was that Carl had actually stolen Elena's body out of the mausoleum. That's not a red flag. That's just disturbing. This is two years, I think. Yeah, two years down the track. So she's decomposing. And he carried the body home. Um, and he'd made a lab at home, a laboratory in a, an old aeroplane. Red flag. <laughs> Over the years, uh, Carl kept Elena alive, inverted commas. Uh, you, he used wire hangers to try and keep the shape in her body. He stuffed her abdominal cavity with um, rags and the, the chest to keep the body's shape. And because her skin was decomposing, he dipped pieces of silk in wax and then he would lay it over the skin to try and keep the skin intact. He sprayed her with disinfectants and oils because obviously she was a bit on the nose by then. Uh, He bought her presents, clothing and perfume and uh, slept in the same bed with her. Oh, I'm doing that thing where I forget that we're on a podcast and my face is horrified and I'm not conveying that, but it's horrified. uh, Everything was going along just great. Yeah, from his point of view, until people started asking questions. They wanted to know uh, why Carl was buying women's clothing. Why Carl smelt like death. (laughs) They wanted to know why he was no longer visiting the mausoleum. And a local boy apparently saw him through the window dancing with what appeared to be a giant doll. And red, not flag, in, red flag, red flag, red flag. Not in like, a fun kind of, you know, Home Alone movie kind of way, you know, where it's a blow-up doll and there's music. You know that scene in the shower where I he's got totally the dummy. I totally know the, that yeah. scene. Different to that. The kids certainly knew something was wrong. So the rumours started to go around the town that Carl was keeping Elena in his house. By October of 1940, Elena's sister confronted him. So he allowed her inside the house and to her horror, and this is her sister, she saw what she at first thought was a wax dummy of her sister. She then realised that it was, in fact, her actual sister. So she alerted the authorities uh, they discovered that the doll that uh, the boy had seen him dancing with was, in fact, Elena's, by this stage, very much rotted corpse. Not only that, they did a, an autopsy on Elena's remains. They found this is quite. <laughs> oh, no. Dee Dee's lost this it. Bit. This is not even a red flag. Don't put a red flag up. Get find another colour flag. For okay, this. you say it. I'm not going to look at you. Go. All right. They did an autopsy on the remains. They discovered that inside her vagina oh. was a paper tube so that should you wish no, to. No, yes. no. And so, see, at the start of this, I was going to ask you if maybe he was, like, kissing her or something. Like, why did he want to look, keep to her? to comfort you, I will say, there there was no – look, I, th- I think this story is around on the internet and some people do claim that there was evidence of his, we'll just say DNA. Um, this is why I can genuinely tell you 
dear dedicated podcast listeners, I like animals more than I like humans because your dog would never do this to you. I don't think it would make a paper tube, put it in your vagina no, for whatever reason. There, no, look, I, I on my reading of it, and I did read a few articles, I, I don't think there was no actual proof that he had been committing necrophilia. I think that was just naughty people making up stories and making the story, like as if this story needs any embroidery added, really. It doesn't. So Carl Tanzler was arrested. He stood trial. The charge was wantonly and maliciously destroying a grave and removing a body without authorisation. Media were all over this story, uh, surprisingly. A lot of people supported him. Can I just say one thing? <laughs> what? Our extraordinary producer. <laughs> has, Kirsten, you are right. Kirsten has done. Just think about your phone and when you go to put an emoji in a text message and all those little faces. She's done every single one throughout this story. <laughs> I feel like we're damaging her. Well, look, some people thought that he was just a, an eccentric but a romantic and there is something quite sweet about it in a weird red flaggy what? kind of way. All right, so in court... Carl claimed, have you got any flags left? Carl claimed that he planned to use an airship to take Elena high into the stratosphere so that radiation from outer space could penetrate her tissues and restore life to her. I've run out of flags. It's uh, isn't uh, that actually makes me really sad. Like Why? he because he loved her so much. He wanted to he thought no. she he could bring her back to life. No, I have no doubt that my boyfriend loves me. But if he ever did this to me, I would – I don't know. I don't think he'd get away with it these days. Anyway, he was eventually cleared because the statute of limitations on his crimes had expired. Here's the part that I find the most horrific of all. After this had all happened – What else uh, is there at this no, point? it gets worse. Elena's body was put on public display as if this poor woman had not been violated enough. They put her on display at a local funeral home and thousands of people, because everyone had heard about the case by this stage. If you Google it, what happens? If you Google it, what happens? Oh, there's lots of pictures and we'll put them up on our social media. Um, So thousands of people got to go past and see her. Um, Look up Carl Tanzler. That's the T-A-N-Z. L-E-R. Uh, after everyone had had a jolly good old squeeze at Elena's body, she was finally reburied in an unmarked grave. I think they had to do that so that he didn't, you know, go and find her again. They wanted her to finally be able to rest in peace. Believe it or not, Carl just was not taking that for an answer. He asked for her body back. Uh, he was denied and he lived the rest of his days out with a life-size effigy made from Elena's death mask as a companion. Some people think, now he, he didn't die until July 3rd, 1952. His body was found on the floor of his home three weeks after his death. But some people said that he was found in the arms of the effigy of Helena, another bunch of troublemakers, I think, and I don't believe that this is true. Some people say that he had Elena's remains secretly returned to him and that he lived out his days with her corpse. But I don't believe that. I think she was, in fact, buried in Dunmark grave. And that is the most beautiful love story you will ever hear in your life, Chanel Vella. I've Googled photos of this situation, and it's absolutely mortifying. You'll find that on our Facebook page, which is Dead Bodies Podcast uh, on Twitter. 
We are Dead Bodies Pod, and on Instagram, Instagram, Instagram. Just look up Dead Bodies Podcast. We would like Instagram. To from- don't get fancy now after you've just told us that <laughs> woeful tale. If you would like to tell us, have you ever seen a dead body? Then we'd love to hear from you. You can email us deadbodiespodcast at gmail Just before we go to our special guest for this episode, I will just say I got to seven and a half red flags. Mm, I stopped red flagging on the paper tube and half a red flag was for the key situation because you told me I couldn't red flag anymore. So that just got half. So seven and a half is what I got to. Great work, wingman. Aditi, I'd like to introduce you to a friend of mine, Peter Giran, who has quite an interesting job that I'm thinking you would never, ever be able to do. He's a crime scene cleaner. Oh, Peter, hello. How you going? Good. What sort of, when when you meet people and you tell them what you do, is that the reaction you generally get? Yeah, look, we, um, I usually just say, oh, you know, I own a cleaning company and they go, oh, yeah, 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 whatever. And then you say, yeah, specialised cleaning company, which you've got their attention then. And then when you explain it, they go, oh, that's gross. No, that's terrible. Tell me all about it. So who... And tr- trust me, we can kill a dinner party in 10 seconds flat. <laughs> oh, no, I reckon it would liven up the dinner party. <laughs> who calls you in, Peter? Is it the police or is it the people who own the property where uh, a death has happened? Both. We, uh, we contract back to Victoria Police. We contract to Federal Police, Metro Trains, the prison system. But we also take on private jobs where usually they're what we call unattended deaths where the uh, body has decomposed and uh, the residual problem is ours. So I feel like there is nothing that could shock you. Um, No, look, every so often there'll be one come along and I'll go, wow, I haven't seen that before. But, um, yeah, look, it's just part of what we do. I'm imagining that, um, I know in Victorian days they used to have lavender, didn't they, that they would... There's no delicate way to ask it, but the smell must be horrendous. How do you you cope with that? All right. Well, it's a scientific fact that the body produces two odours. One's cadaverdine and the other one is putrescine. Did you make those names up? You did, didn't you? No, they are legitimate smells, names. Um, And chemical-wise, with today's technology, you break that down find out what it is and then start working on combating it. But we've got three or four primary odour control features. Um, Hydroxyls, which uh, float through the air. We've got various uh, airborne disinfectants and deodorisers. But you talk deodorisers, you've got masking agents which cover the smell. You've got pairing agents which join with the smell. And you've got odicides which kill the smell. And do you generally need all three? We need everything sometimes. <laughs> it's um, look, it's it's probably eighty percent science, twenty percent, or probably ten percent art and ten percent luck. It's uh, there's so many factors come into it, which is time that it's running, the um, ambient air temperature, humidity, all these variations really affect how quickly we can combat the odors. So, Peter, if there's been a, a messy death and police are there investigating, I mean, you know, we know and know so much about forensics now, they have to take samples and stuff. How much, I'm just thinking, for instance, say something were all over a wall, body yep. body matter or something, brain matter. Bits, 
bits. <laughs> so, I mean, do they take the bits they want? How how do you? Do you want to know up? if there are bits still there? Yes, plenty. Oh. Plenty. The, look, the representative sample they take, they're probably more interested in um, blood spatter, the blood spatter patterns, as far as direction of where it's come from, the direction it's heading, uh, stab wounds. And I can say this with all honesty because I was a policeman and worked in forensic science. Um, blood will tell you what direction it came from. And when you've got multi-directional sprays, there's obviously quite a frenzied attack has gone on. Are you conscious? Con- uh, oh, yes. And, uh, <laughs> Sorry, I've yeah, got all, so many questions. All that, all, all that is left behind for us. <laughs> Thank you, you very much. <laughs> are you conscious of the fact that a family may want to view a body at some point when you're retrieving it? Because I'm imagining if a body's been there for some time before you get there, it's not a nice, easy, you know, neat thing to pick up. No. So you're you, you're you're trying to preserve as much of the human form as possible. We we don't get involved in that. The um, We don't retrieve the bodies or, or whatever. That's the government undertakers will do that. We're left with the mess that's left behind. Um, having said that, we do work for Metro Trains and part of our deal with them is we do retrieve the bodies from under the train so as they can get moving again. But um, that's realistically the only time we handle bodies. Are you told what has occurred? Say you get called out to a house at 2 o'clock in the morning and you're told there's a, there's a lounge room that needs cleaning. Are you told what's happened in there before you get there? We get very brief details. Um, it may be suicide, it may be a homicide, it may be an aggravated burglary, it might be anything. But usually we're told that you've got blood in the kitchen, you may have brain matter in here, there or anywhere, and that's pretty much it. But um, one person's interpretation of a massacre versus one person's interpretation of a couple of drops, somewhere along the line they get a little bit confused. Mm. And um, we're quite often told, yeah, there's only a couple of drops of blood, mate, you'll be right. And five hours later, um, yeah, <laughs> it is a little bit hard to try and elicit that information at the time. Peter, so many people have um, floorboards or there's floorboards underneath carpet and timber is quite <laughs> porous. I mean, is that one of the most difficult things, trying to clean those porous surfaces? No, not not hard at all. Uh, myself and my uh, battery saw, away we go. We go to the extent of taking out joist bearers, stumps. We took out 180 kilos of contaminated soil from underneath one room. How did, what had happened there? Uh, Quite a large person had uh, passed away and had been lying on the floor for some three weeks with the sun doing its bit on top of them. And gravity takes its course and all the body fluids just flow straight through the carpet, straight through the underlay, straight through the floor and into the soil. Do you have to deal with insects as well? Yes. Maggots? Yes. I was going to say, do you want to name them? (laughs) I was trying to avoid it, but then I couldn't help it. (laughs) No, look, maggots, um, they're very clean, maggots. um, But as soon as they're disturbed, they like to be, they like a food source. Once the food source is removed, they will depart. And we've found maggots underneath the carpet running along the uh, edge of the walls, probably three rooms away. Uh, and nothing worse than when they stick their heads up in the middle of a shag pile carpet. Oh, oh, 
What's, no, sorry. <laughs> what's the longest crime scene? What's the longest it's taken you to clean a crime scene? Some go for days, but when I say days, we're probably our work could probably be done within two days. It depends on pulling up floors. You know, if there's structural issues, we've got to bring in builders. Um, Deodorising is always a minimum of 48 hours. Um, and it just depends on weather conditions and things like that. So we, unfortunately, our biggest odour detector is our nose uh, and my wife. And uh, we'll, we'll go in afterwards or after 48 hours and go, nah, it's still here, let it run for another 24. Or we've missed a bit, which is pretty rare. But um, yeah, it's odour control is remove the source, work on the rest of it. Well, no, you've mentioned your wife. Is this a job where you inadvertently bring the job home with you? Or just, can she, I mean, people, I've, I don't know what, I've never seen a dead body. I don't know what death smells like, but people talk about the smell of death. Do, does, do you bring that home with you? With unattended deaths, yes, probably. I'm usually out there with the, the rest of our staff dealing with what we deal with. And odour... Your brain will sort of combat and adjust to an odour within 30 seconds. Um, and we adjust to it quite comfortably and go, what are you talking about? Whereas a couple of times the boys have come back from a job and I go, just get out of here, you guys stink, you're rotten. You know, so, but of course, on the other occasions, that's me. So, <laughs> Well, just on that, do you have a high turnover of staff? Because I feel like people would come and work for you and then go, mm, I just can't do this exceptionally high um we've as we speak we've probably lost another one today after two and two and a half months um which it's 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 hard for us because there's a fairly long training process that they go through and once we set them out in the real world it's all very well talking theory but until you put this into practice and they just a lot of people just can't handle it and i don't begrudge them that but we go through a lot of stuff. Was there something in particular that caused today's incident? Or the, the, the... No, just the, the travel, the being on call. Some people can handle being on call. Others can't. Others sort of lie there with one eye open, watching the phone, waiting for it to ring. It's a, it's a fairly unique field. And, of course, being 24-7, we've got all other things come into it as far as fatigue management and stuff like that. Yeah. And how does it make you feel, Peter? Do you have to divorce your emotions from the job? I do. Um, look, I'm, I'm very compassionate and I understand what a lot of these people are going through, having lost loved ones unexpectedly. But uh, I don't know the person personally. Uh, I've had no contact with them. It is a job. It is a job that we do professionally. And that's as far as it goes. If my emotions come into it, take me out of the game. And it has happened to me a couple of times, but uh, you've just got to divorce yourself from it. I don't know how you do it. I don't know if I could do it. I'd be one of the people calling you in the middle of the night saying I can't come out to one of these calls. But thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it and giving us a little bit of insight into what you do. No problem. Thank you, Peter. Come out of the job. (laughs) Do you know what? We probably should sometime. We probably yeah, should. We probably should. And considering we don't <laughs> just, need to film, we could probably do that. Just Chanel's yeah. okay with dead bodies. I've never seen one in my life, Peter. Well, you can promise me the body won't still be there. 
It's been 24 hours since I've seen one. So. Oh, gosh, that long. I don't know if I even want to see a chalk outline. <laughs> you're, you're a braver man than me. Thank you so Thank much you. for your time, Peter. Not a problem. On the next episode of Dead Bodies. Charnel confesses her sneaky peeking at crime scene photos in the newsroom. And Dee Dee talks about some very curious chimneys. And we'll talk to Peter, who found a dead body right near his house. Dead Bodies is created by Dee Dee Dunleavy and Charnel Vella and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.